Last Sunday, we had a very special afternoon as we brought into our church family our confirmation class. It was a high and holy day, a sacred time, great celebration. I'd like to show a video that helps you relive that just a little bit now. Come set your rule and reign in our hearts again. Increase in us, we pray. Unveil why we're made. Come set our hearts ablaze with hope, like wildfire in our very souls. Holy Spirit, come invade us now. We are your church. We need your power in us. Your kingdom first, we hunger and we thirst, refuse to waste our lives, for you are our joy and prize, to see the captive hearts released, the hurt, the sick, the poor at peace, we lay down our lives for heaven's course, we are your church. That was a culmination of four months of study and reflection on the key elements of our faith. They worked with an adult mentor, and they celebrated on that day as they're now full members of our church family. So what do we do with them now? Are they done? Is it over with? Hopefully there's much more to go. And what I've seen churches do, there's, there was a movement the past decade or so where churches thought the smartest way to reach new people, bring in new families, was to do what I call a consumer model. And that's where you have the adults come together and worship, and then you have programming for the youth. They might have their own separate worship experience, and sometimes for the middle schoolers, and then also sometimes for the children as well. All getting done in one hour. And the theory was, if you try to expect them to follow the traditional model where they come to church, and then to Sunday school, you'll never get them because nobody can start that new habit and dedicate two hours plus the time of getting ready and going home and travel. People won't give it. So this was the most effective way to get people into church. Now there's some second guessing about that decision because what is happening is as youth grow up and they go off to college, when they come back because they have very few relationships with other generations they come back to a church that doesn't feel like their church. That's one reason why you see so many churches now that are kind of focused only on millennials. And we've had some of that experience here as well. And the challenge is once you go that route, once you go to that one-hour consumer model, it is really hard to reestablish 
that intergenerational model. Well, today was the day that was scheduled for Youth Sunday. Every year we have the youth, we just turn the service over to them, let them do what they want. And my experience has been, not just here, but at every church I've been at, is that some people love Youth Sunday. They love seeing the youth get up there and exercise their gifts and abilities. And there's others just stay home because they don't like the loud music. Or maybe they don't feel like there's enough substance in the service or the message itself. Well, our family ministry team came to us this year and said, we think it's time to stop Youth Sunday. And it wasn't because they don't like doing it, but because they felt it was sending a message to the church as well as to the youth is that, yeah, we'll give you one sign of the year, but we don't care about you the rest of the year. And so we're trying to think about how to strategically and intentionally involve the youth throughout our church ministries and throughout the entire year. That's our hope and dream. Jackie's just one example of that today. You'll see another example in a few weeks to try to offer opportunities for them to serve in meaningful ways. And you know, it's very biblical. Passage that you heard today from Joel. I don't know how familiar you are with the book of Joel. It's one of the minor prophets. You know, the end of the Bible, probably many of you have never even read it. Hopefully you did experience just a taste of it with our 228 prayer initiative because that prayer was written, inspired by this passage. And did you hear that message in it? What it's suggesting to us is that when God comes to make all things right, this was written about 400 BCE to a people of Israel that had just experienced a horrible infestation of locusts. They just devoured all their crops and then a drought is ensued, and so they were suffering incredibly. They assumed it was the judgment of God. And the prophet Joel sends a message that God has not abandoned us. There is hope. And when he comes, he'll come in such a way that he will use everyone, every age. As it says very clearly, your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your old men will dream dreams, and your young men will see visions. God will utilize every generation as he makes things the way they're supposed to be. This passage is also quoted in the book of Acts. The writer Luke has included at that time of Pentecost to describe and explain what the Spirit is doing, that when the Holy Spirit comes, it'll break down all barriers, age, gender, and station in life. If you read your Bibles, you'll discover that God seems to like to use young people. You remember Joseph? And how about King David, who started out slaying Goliath as a young lad? Or we could talk about the prophet Daniel. Mary, the mother of Jesus, was likely a teenager. And Timothy, Paul speaks of. Examples where God used them for his glory. So what I hope to share the rest of my time today it's just a few strategies that might help us embrace our youth more, to integrate them into our church ministries, and help empower them to be the church now. And let me tell you a story about that. Stories about someone named Steve, who's a 13-year-old. And he's at that age where he's starting to ask them big questions. And he waits until most of the people have gotten through the line after church, and he comes to his pastor and says, I've got a question for you. If I raise a finger, will God know which finger I'm going to raise? And the pastor said, well, yes, of course. And then he pulls out of his pocket a cover photo from Life magazine 
picture of two children from Africa who are obviously in the midst of starvation. And he says, does God know these children and what's going to happen to them? And the pastor said, now Steve, I know that's hard to understand, but yes, God knows everything. With that, Steve folded up the paper, put it in his pocket. He walked out of church and never came back. He never, ever worshipped in a Christian church again. Now, what is sad there is that the pastor failed to understand that the question Steve was asking was more than just an existential question about suffering. He was asking a question that had to do with his own personal experience and his own personal pain. The pastor didn't seem to be aware or at least had enough time to stop and want to know more of what is behind that question. For you see, Steve had been dealing with bullying at school. His family was having financial struggles. And he had recently learned that he'd been adopted and was trying to come to terms with that. Would that God be there for him and deal with his emotional pain? But the pastor failed in that opportunity. What if the pastor instead had said, you know, Steve, that's a pretty good question. Can we take some time, sit down maybe with you and your dad, and we talk this through a little bit? Or what if his parents had been aware of those struggles and, and had sat down and explored that further with them, or even just any other faithful adult? You see, Steve is no different than any of the youth even from our congregation. They're at a time in their lives they're asking some big questions. Now, you might know this, Steve. His name, ha name happens to be Steve Jobs, the founder, CEO of Apple. Think about the difference in our world if that pastor had taken the time to listen. Think about all that creative energies that was used to make computer interfaces could have been put to work for the glory of God in addition to the difference he could have made in our world if only the pastor had taken the time to listen. So let me suggest just a few things that we might consider so that we can all play that role of embracing our youth and young adults into our congregation. And the first thing I would suggest to you is that we need to understand and empathize and realize what is going on. And understand that, that youth have internal influences going on and they also have a whole lot of external cultural events that are happening in their lives. Youth are asking big questions. They ask questions like, who am I? Where do I fit in? What difference do I make? These are questions of identity and belonging and purpose. They focus on me and on us and on the world. Now, those questions are not unique to this generation. Every generation has probably asked that question at some time. And it doesn't mean it stops when you're a young adult. There are times in each of our lives when we stop and ask those big questions, do we not? But what is different for youth is they have so much going on. They experience these questions so much more acutely. So much is happening with them that creates incredible stress. A second thing that's happening, it's kind of coming in from the outside. And you can kind of sum it up in that youth and young adults today are like 15 going on 25 and also 25 going on 15. Let me explain what I mean by that. 15-year-olds have at the disposal of their hands and their smartphones so much information that most of us never had to deal with when we were that age. All the tragedies, the news of the world, all that's happening, 
they're having to deal with now and confront and face. All the, the adult experiences they're exposed to now is so incredible that it's like they're having to make decisions of a 25-year-old. At the same time, as we've talked about before in our last series, we've mentioned that, that young adults are delaying so many life experiences. Careers taking longer to establish. They're delaying marriage. They're delaying and having fewer children. We call that the extended adolescence. And so in some ways, they're 25 still going on 15. You know what I'm talking about? So it's important that we understand and realize those experiences they're going through. And it means being less critical when you see them on their phone and instead stopping and asking, what, what need are they fulfilling there? And you would answer that by that need to belong. It means being aware of those external influences that, empower their, that embattle their lives and how can we better understand and be helpful to them? Those are the questions we should be asking. And then... The second thing to consider is can we offer them a compelling faith, a faith that engages them in their lives? I remember several years ago, probably a couple decades ago, I read a book by George Hunter, who's an expert in evangelism, and he was describing the challenge we have in church because he says that he could summarize that the general faith that he discovered in church is what he calls moralistic therapeutic deism. Let me explain that theology. Moralistic in that we're just focused more on do's and don'ts, how to be a good person. Therapeutic in that we just want to hear something that makes us feel better about ourselves. And deistic in that God is distant from us. He's not involved in our everyday life. The interesting thing is the, recently there was a study done called the National Study of Youth and Religion. And that involved hundreds of interviews with youth and young adults. And they discovered unless something significant had happened in their life, the de facto religion for them was moralistic, therapeutic deism. Does that surprise you? Now, some summarize that as saying that's kind of the golden rule theology. Do unto others as you'd have them do unto you, which is not a bad way to live. But that's not the faith of Jesus Christ. Where's the challenge of the Jesus who says that he came to proclaim good news to the poor, release to the captives, sight to the blind, and liberation to those who are oppressed? Where's the faith of a Jesus who's willing to die on, his, on a cross for us and calls us to discover and take up our cross as well? Churches that are embracing youth and young adults today worry a lot less about abstract beliefs and focus much more on the person and work of Jesus Christ. They focus a lot more on the redemptive work that God is doing in our world and try to become a part of it. They talk a lot less about heaven and much more about bringing heaven here on earth. So it calls us to listen, to listen effectively. And the last thing I would mention for us is to prioritize the involvement of our youth, to be intentional, to find meaningful ways to make sure that we don't just use them for our manual labor, but we discover what their gifts are, what they can do. It's summarized best in this way. When they think about budget, churches that embrace young adults, when they think about budget, strategy, worship planning, programming, community life, theology, and all other aspects of church life, they think about young people. 
They intentionally pay attention. That means when we plan Easter or we plan Christmas Eve, do we stop and ask, what will the youth do? How will we engage them? And we've done that well sometimes. I remember a while back we had one of our UMW circles focused on human trafficking decide to have a fundraiser, a fashion show, to show off the clothes made in other countries by people trying to get out of a life of human trafficking. And so they involved the youth by having them be the models for the fashion show. And what a hit that was. The youth loved it. Fun for everyone. I know right now we have a UMW circle that's working on putting together a fundraiser that would involve the youth and the women planning a, a game night to involve families. And the proceeds will be split among the youth and the UMW missions. What a great way to get people together to learn from various generations and to celebrate the gifts that we bring. So let us remember, we need the gifts of our youth. They are the church now. Last Sunday, we focused on one of the passages from the book of Mark where we lifted up that Jesus hugged the children. Remember that? But you notice that, that verse right before that, verse 15, it says, I assure you that whoever doesn't welcome God's kingdom like a child will never enter it. Jesus suggesting we've got something to learn from our youth and our children and our young adults. We need them as much for our faith as they need us for theirs. So let us understand and empathize. empathize. Let us offer that engaging, compelling faith, and let us learn to prioritize in all that we do. Let us pray. Lord, we accept this challenge. Help us to be very intentional about celebrating what blessings you've given to us already with our children, our youth, our young adults. May we become a church that is for every generation. May we be your people where the old men dream dreams and the young have visions. This we ask in your name. Amen.